Church, what a joy to hear your voices this morning. Colette and I and the family were away last weekend at Piney Woods Baptist Camp. I was preaching a student retreat for an old friend of mine. Uh, was at a youth retreat uh, Friday and Saturday for another friend. Um, I think you might have been able to feel the music uh, here. Uh, they quit measuring on decibels. It was measured on the Richter scale. Uh, needless to say, it's good to hear voices sing, but brothers and sisters, it's just especially good to hear your voices sing together this morning. We have some books in the back we're encouraging you to take and read and hand out. The title is, Who is Jesus? by Greg Gilbert, a rapper, a former pastor and church elder named Trip Lee, one of my favorite rappers. I have several favorites. He's one of my most favorites. Trip Lee begins his foreword for the book, Who is Jesus? like this. He says, have you ever mistaken a person for someone else? He says, I remember being at a party with my best friend in high school. We had just arrived when we saw our friend Nicole standing in the corner having a good time. We had spent time with Nicole and her pregnant friend the day before. So we decided to walk over and greet them. My best friend said hey to Nicole and rubbed her friend's belly with a kind smile and thoughtfully asked, how's the baby? The only problem was that this was a different friend, and she wasn't in the least bit pregnant. <laughs> Some of you sound like you are responding from experience. We easily mistake people all the time. We think we know who someone is, but we're mistaken. A few weeks ago, Colette was on the way home from visiting her mother in Beaumont. She stopped at a restaurant on the way home, and someone came up to her and said, Jackie? Her name is Colette. Jackie? And even went so far as to invite his spouse over to see, isn't this Jackie? I don't remember how Colette responded, but probably graciously. We mistake people all the time. We have to ask ourselves a question this morning. Are we certain about who Jesus is? How can we know who Jesus is? Could we possibly be mistaken? That's the question that we're going to answer this morning. From the Bible and God's Word in John chapter 8. Who is Jesus? The good thing is that we get to let him tell us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we come now to open your word. We do not want to hear from men. We are not interested in the thoughts of other humans supremely. We want to hear from you, yourself. So we come now to open up your word which we believe is your revealed word, orchestrated, inspired by your Holy Spirit, so that we might know through the witness and testimony of men what you say. So help us heed and hear 
the eyes of our hearts, the ears of our hearts, that we might have faith in Christ, knowing who He is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn with me to John chapter 20 to begin this morning. John chapter 20. I want to make sure we're jumping into a book that we haven't been preaching in. We're taking a break from the book of Revelation to think about who is Jesus going into the Easter season, encouraging you to read along Greg Gilbert's book, Who is Jesus? Take those and hand those out. Invite your uh, neighbors to Easter, to church, to read that book with you. John chapter 20 is where we're going to be answering that question this morning in your house Bibles. That puts you on page 906. John is one of those books that helpfully gives us a statement for why this book was written. Let's look at that really quickly. John chapter 20, verse 30 to 31. John says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things, what is in this book, are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. It's written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And over and over in the book of John, every story that John tells, every account that John gives ends with people hated Jesus and they wanted to kill Him, or they loved Him, they believed in Him, and they started following Him. Do you believe or do you not believe? Who do you think Jesus is? Is a question that's being answered all through the book of John. Go with me to John chapter 8 verse 23, our chapter for this morning. John chapter 8 verse 23, jump right into the middle of our passage and just see what's going on in this chapter. Look at John chapter 8, verse 23, and just see what's happening in this chapter. He said to them, Jesus, you are from below. We're jumping into the middle of a conversation here. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Verse 25, this is how the Jews respond. So they said to him, who are you? Who are you? That's what's going on in this entire chapter. Jesus is answering the question, who are you? Isn't it great to know that in the Bible, there is a chapter where someone stood face to face with Jesus and just asked him, who are you? And let him answer. Who are you? I mean, just if we could stand in front of Jesus, I think that's one of the questions we would be asking. Who are you? (laughs) Let's read that whole section and see how that question came to be and how those who heard of Jesus and his answer responded. So go back to John chapter 8, begin reading this whole section, verse 21 through 30. So Jesus, he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? 
since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. That's the kind of stuff that would make someone ask, who are you? You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him about who he is. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, when you have put him up on the cross, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, referring to God. And he, he who sent me is with me. God is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, verse 30, many believed in him. That's John's commentary. They heard Jesus say these things, and many believed in him. This is the essence of faith. Believing something you may not be able to see. Hoping in things that you cannot see with your eyes. There's no amount of evidence, no fancy argument that is going to be so clear and convincing that you do not have to have faith in who Jesus is. One author has said before, God has given us enough witness that faith is not unreasonable. But he has withheld enough that faith is the only way we can believe in him. Just know that faith doesn't come from just some fancy arguments. It comes from hearing of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God working by his power in your heart to help bring about faith. They heard Jesus speak. They believed and this is on the front end of our passage today. He spoke, many believed. This is how it works. This is how we come to faith. We hear Jesus' words and we believe. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, Paul says it like this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction. These heard the simple words of who Jesus is and they believed. Paul says in Romans chapter 10 verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's what it means to truly hear, is to hear the word of Christ and respond by faith. The thing that is between you and faith is not necessarily another miracle or another apologetic or another argument or a cloud in the sky with a message in it. Faith comes through hearing of Jesus and believing. In fact, those who have heard more than you and I have probably heard 
they tend to hate Jesus more and more as he talks in the Gospels. And those who disbelieve, the more they hear, the more enraged they get, the more their hatred and disbelief grows. Well, in this chapter, as Jesus was talking, many heard and believed, but many were unconvinced. So they began to ask Jesus questions like, who are you? How can you say that? What does that mean? That is ridiculous. The conversation picks up in John chapter 8, verse 48. The Jews answered him, we know who you are. They figured out who Jesus is. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and you have a demon? Let this lodge in your minds. They went ahead and spoke. They thought it, filtered it, maybe a little bit, spoke it. You're a half-breed, demon-filled man. That's who, we know who you are. Isn't that right? Here's Jesus' answer, verse 49. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. In other words, I know the Father. The Father knows me. He will judge me. You can say that I'm a demon all that you want. God knows who I am. Verse 51. He continues, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Who talks like that? If you keep my word, you will never see death. It's one thing for a police officer to say, if you will stay on the right side of the road and go forward, you're not going to get a car wreck this afternoon. Right? This is the reroute from traffic. It's another thing for a man to say, if you believe in me, you'll never see death ever. Who are you? Who talks like that? Jesus continues. The Jews said to him, or excuse me, the Jews respond, verse 52, the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Now we know. We, we were as if they didn't already know. Are we not right? Well, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Abraham is great and he died. And look what he says, the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Greater than Abraham? Greater than the prophets? The Jews are getting heated up here. Abraham was the man who believes God and it was counted righteous but he died and you're telling us if we believe you we won't die so, so Jesus is greater than Abraham oh Jesus why don't you just go ahead and say you're greater than all the prophets too all the prophets who also died all God's prophets from the Old Testament are dead and yet you're saying that we keep your word will never taste death Notice how the question keeps lingering through the chapter. Who are you to say things like this? It's becoming an angry who are you. Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom, I, of whom you say, you guys say, He is our God. But listen to what Jesus says 
to the Jews, the people of Israel, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. And then Jesus, Jesus has to know what this is going to do. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Oh, Jesus, you, you keep making yourself out to, Abraham would see my day. Here's Jesus born around like zero AD BC. 2,000 years ago, there's a man named Abraham. And he would rejoice to see your day. They seem to take this meaning that Jesus and Abraham were sharing the same time period, even though we just heard Abraham's died 2,000 years ago. So the Jews said to him, they, they tell us what they think Jesus means. The Jews says in verse 57, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? You're not even 50 years old yet. I mean, this is funny. It's like as if a hundred, like, you're not even 200 years old yet. Like what? You're not even 50 years old yet. You, and you're saying that you've seen Abraham? Now hear Jesus' response. In John 8, we've seen Jesus allude to himself as greater than Moses. They accuse him of saying that he's greater than the prophets. And now it's a question of is he greater than Abraham? I mean, these are the highest of the high people who are close to God in Israel, in the Old Covenant. They hear from God directly and they speak with God's authority to mankind. And now Jesus is speaking on his own authority. Is Jesus greater than them? And what he's saying about himself, listen to what Jesus says. You're not 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Listen to Jesus, verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And if you think they weren't ticked yet, So they picked up stones to throw at him. What just happened? Truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was I am. It's just words, right? So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. What did Jesus just say? Who are you? What do you mean? They seem to know exactly what he meant. What did Jesus just say when he said, Before Abraham was, I am? In very simple terms, Jesus 
just said, I am God. I am God. Not just I know him, not just I have heard from him, not just we have each other's text message phone number. I am him. You want to know who I am? I am is his answer. Is he? Is he? Did Jesus just claim to be God? Many will say that's not what Jesus meant. It didn't mean that he is God. Oh, he just used words that sound like that. That's the meaning of the words. To say, I am, not I was, not I used to be, but I am without the article. Not just I am the bread, I am the life, just I am. I am. Not just a fulfillment of Old Testament types like bread and water and the lamb, but just to say simply, I am. That's who I am. What would this mean to the Jews? To the Jews, it was like God, like Jesus took God's personal business card with God's personal name. He said, give me that business card and held up in front of them and said, I am. That's who I am. That's why they got so mad. This phrase, I am, comes from the book of Exodus. You can turn with me in your Bible to Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus, God's people found themselves in captivity in Egypt. And God rose up Moses to save them. But Moses, having grown up as an Egyptian, did not really know God. Certainly not personally. When Moses was going back into Egypt, having seen the burning bush, He's now going to lead in basically a battle rescue mission between the God of the Israelites and the gods of the Egyptians. Well, Moses didn't know who God was. Moses wasn't sure what to tell the Israelites. When he shows back up and says, hey, God's going to save us, he didn't even know who to tell Israel was going to lead them out of Egypt. He didn't know who to tell Israel. Not much less Pharaoh. So look in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Second book of the Bible, Genesis, then Exodus, puts you around page 60 or 55 or so. Exodus 3, 13 through 15. So Moses, being now commissioned to go lead the people out, Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and then they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. It was an absolute statement of existence. I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you. 
Tell them I am has sent you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God, your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Moses, my name is I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You go tell them, Moses, the existing one has sent you. The only one who exists has sent you. To say, who are you, I am, to a group of Israelites is to pick up Exodus 3 and say, that's me. That's me. Who are you, Jesus? Thinking you're greater than the prophets, than Moses, even Abraham. Who are you? I am. Jesus did not just say, I am God in general. He used the phrase to refer to himself as the God of Israel, not just one of the Roman gods. I'm a God. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what this statement means. I am divine in nature. No, it's very specific. I am the God of the people of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the the Pharisees' God who they should be worshiping and should be knowing, but don't. Did Jesus claim to be God? Yes, that's what those words mean. I am. And that's exactly why they picked up the stones. The Jews, when they heard it, they knew it. This man is claiming us to worship him and respect him and bow down to him as God himself. It happened back in chapter 5. They began to get angry back there. This was why Jesus, or excuse me, why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That's why they wanted to kill him, John 5, 18. The Jews did not sit back in chapter 8 and go, hmm, I wonder what Jesus means by these words. Let's all get our books, have a little theological conference about how Jesus used the words, I am. Maybe we could just Google the words, I am, and see what Jesus meant. No, they knew what it meant. It meant capital punishment. They knew Leviticus 24, 16. They knew Deuteronomy 13, 6 through 11. Don't let him live. Claims to be God. Jesus knew exactly what he's saying. And when we read it, we should know exactly what Jesus is saying. Who are you? I am God. Other religions will say a lot of things about Jesus, but they will not say this. If you go to the New Age movement today, you'll find that Jesus is heralded as a great moral teacher of love and kindness. What makes Jesus so special? Jesus, according to the New Age movement, some sections of it, Jesus completed the process of spiritual evolution over successive generations of reincarnation to become an enlightened master. Muslims believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet of God. They even refer to him as a Messiah. They believe that he was a wise teacher. 
He worked miracles. They even believe that Jesus ascended into heaven. But they will not say that he is God. The Baha'i faith, which began in 1863, believed that Jesus came from God, that he was born of a virgin, that he spoke for God, even goes so far to say that Jesus had a divine nature, but in the same way that all other people have a divine manifestation through which he worked, was able to manage working miracles. They believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose, although his resurrection was a spiritual one. In Hinduism, Jesus is a holy man, a wise teacher, they're even willing to confer that Jesus is divine like a God and that he is one of the many gods, one of the many goddesses. And Jesus is more than welcome to the deity party in Hinduism. In Buddhism, Jesus is an enlightened man. He's sacrificial life, clearly showing that he was given a greater enlightenment than others. But Christians who know Jesus and have heard him answer the question himself, who are you? We must only say he is God. This is the testimony of the apostles and the early church. They weren't confused about who Jesus was. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 17, it's talking about Jesus. This is what Paul says to the church in Colossae. For by him, that's Jesus, for by Jesus all things were created. By Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, things that are visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, through Jesus, and for him. And Jesus is before all things. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. They know. The New Testament apostles know who Jesus was and have taught us the church. One of the first earliest accounts of graffiti in the Roman Empire studied today it's called the Alexamenos Graffito. You may have heard me share about this before. The first time I learned about this was through one of our previous associate pastors named Alex Sossler, who's now a professor at Montreal College. Alex has a full sleeve of tattoos up his left arm. Huge beard, I mean, way cooler than me on so many levels. Alex was getting his sleeve worked on here, and he showed up to the office one day with a tattoo on his arm, a very large, clear tattoo. And it's a crucifix. It's got a cross, and it's got a body on it. And on the head, instead of a human head where you would expect to find Jesus' head, there's a donkey head. And I remember thinking, this is Alex's last day to work at Millwood Baptist Church. The man has joined a cult. So I just gave him the benefit of the doubt for a few moments. What does that mean? And he explained the history of what is called Alexamenos Graffitio. One of the oldest accounts of kind of bathroom wall type graffiti in a cave was a, a picture of a man on the cross, but a donkey's head and someone standing next to him mocking someone named Alexander 
by saying Alexamenos worships his God. That man on the cross that died, Alexander worships the God that died on the cross. And he put a donkey head on Jesus' head just to mock Alexander and show how foolish he would be to worship someone like Jesus as a God. I can't imagine the number of gospel conversations Alex has had and may have over the tattoo. Even those who mocked Christians put it on the bathroom graffiti. You guys worship this guy as a God? That's our testimony. Jesus was asked, who are you? And he said, I am. We wrote it this way as a church in the Nicene Creed, not us here, but as a collective church, the Nicene Creed in 325, to combat the Arian controversy that Jesus was not fully in divine nature with God. The Nicene Creed says early in church history, 325 AD, we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one being with the Father, through him all things were made. The Athanasius Creed attributed to Athanasius, perhaps not written by him though in 373, collected by the church, says he is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time, and he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time. Completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh. Equal to the Father as regards divinity, less than the Father as regards to humanity. Today we say it in sentences like this in our statement of faith as a church. God is all-powerful and he is all-knowing and his perfect knowledge extends to all things, past, present, and future, including the future decisions of his free creatures. To him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes but without division of nature, essence, or being. What has the church been saying who are faithful to Christ? What does it say today that Jesus is the I am? Are you so sure that you are right or wrong about who Jesus is. Consider the capacity of mankind to get it wrong. From pregnant women to celebrity lookalikes, we mistake people all the time. We ought to know that we can't entrust our own conclusions to our own interpretations of who Jesus is. Mankind gets God so wrong so often that we should start off being skeptical not about Jesus, but skeptical about our understandings of anything. Just consider how far, how grossly far apart the ideas are in John chapter 8. The passage starts there in John chapter 8 with, oh yeah, we know who you are, Jesus. You're a half-breed demon field man. How much farther away can you get from what Jesus was about to say? And he's right there in front of them. They're not just a little confused. They attribute Jesus to being a demon. 
Consider how capable mankind is of getting it wrong. Back in Exodus, when I am, when God himself saved Israel through the fire, through the sea, and through many plagues and many miracles, how did Israel respond? While Moses went up to the mountain, what did Israel do? They built a cow out of all of their gold jewelry and earrings, and they began to worship the gold that Aaron had just made into a cow for them, Five minutes ago, they were saved by God's miraculous power. And now what they say later in chapters in Exodus is, These are our gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The I am saved them. Then they worshipped a golden cow that they made. Isaiah 40 recalls Israel's departure from faithfulness to God to worshiping idols like this. Isaiah says, chapter 40, verse 18, to whom will you liken God? Or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman, casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and he casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. You you guys are worshiping firewood. You carved it out, you put a face on it, you put it up on the mantle, it doesn't go anywhere, and you worship it. I mean, how wrong can you get about who God is? Israel is supposed to be worshiping the living God of creation. And they're bowing down to blocks of wood. Be careful about our capacity to miss who Jesus really is. The New York Post published an article last month about a mysterious 12-inch creature which was allegedly caught in the Pacific Ocean off the islands, off the Japanese island of I'm not going to try between 1736 and 1741. It's now kept in a temple in the city of Asakuchi. It's a grossly, freakishly disfigured being that looks half primate on its top and half mermaid on the bottom. It's weird. The chief priest of the temple, Kozen Kiyuda, said it was put on display in a glass case some 40 years ago and it's now kept in a fireproof safe. They don't want their God catching on fire. Here's what the priest told a Japanese newspaper. We have worshipped it, hoping that it would help alleviate the coronavirus pandemic, even if only slightly. Mankind has a history of attributing divine properties and qualities of gold of, of God to gold, wood, and monkey mermaids. Should we really be so immediately trustworthy of our own interpretation of who Jesus is or who he isn't? Thankfully, there's a chapter of the Bible where Jesus was given an interview. Jesus, who are you? Jesus responds. 
I am. Still wondering who Jesus is? Consider the words that Jesus has given about himself. Listen to Jesus' words about himself. Jesus did not leave this world wanting anyone wondering about who he is. He made it very clear. Can we believe him? Can we believe him? Jesus said, John chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. You see me lifted up, you'll know. As soon as the disciples began to recognize that Jesus was the Christ, that he is the Messiah, Jesus started talking about dying and raising from the dead. So in Matthew chapter 16, as soon as Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. That's also what Jesus said about himself. The Christ was going to be killed and on the third day be raised. He was going to be killed not because of his own sin. He was going to be killed not because he didn't have the power to do something about it. He went and laid down his life like a lamb so that his blood would be shed on the cross so that we would be forgiven for our sins. That's why Jesus died. And if Jesus foresaw his death, which he had the Father's authority to lay down and take up, and then he raised from the dead. The man said, I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. And then he did it. Maybe he was right when he said, I am. If he raised from the dead, is he not who he said he was? He is. Still wondering who Jesus is? Consider the promises he said about himself and his fulfillment of them. Convinced that Jesus is not who he said he is? I mean, just encourage you to doubt your doubts. Disbelief your disbelief for a moment. Ask a few more questions. What did Jesus say about himself? How could that be true? Is this book even trustworthy? If you're a Christian today, is your fervency and your reverence for Christ equal to the doctrine that you hold? That Jesus says, I am. Is that your fervency? Is that your hope? Is that your joy? That Jesus is not just another one of us. He was God with us, slain for our sin. Our, our final payment for sin made by God himself. We sang this morning a wonderful song. Though I may not see what the future brings, I will watch and wait for the Savior King, then my joy complete, standing face to face. How? In Christ, face to face in the presence of the Ancient of Days. Jesus is God. He is our way to the Father by his death for our sins. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way, if Jesus Christ is not truly God, how could could he help us? If he is not truly man, how could he help us? It's the only way Jesus could meet all of our needs. Jesus is God. 
then our sins are truly paid for. Oh, there are a number of mysterious questions about the unity of the God-man. But if Jesus is the I am in the flesh, then who is going to say that our sins were not paid for on the cross? To who will you appeal? What debtor will you find who says, I still have something against you? No. When you're going out this week and you're going to restaurants and you're going to businesses and you're going to your families and you're going to your neighbors, talk about Jesus. Ask questions about Jesus and let Jesus answer the question about himself, about who he is. Maybe you could ask someone this week in evangelism in a conversation with someone you know at work. Just ask them this question. Have you ever been mistaken? This is a little bit of a setup, but you ever been mistaken about someone's identity? Oh, yeah. And there's this one time. I don't mean to be coy, but just question, who would you say that Jesus is? And how do you know that he is who you think he is? Friends, Jesus has made it very clear to us who he is. And that is the gospel to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word for us today. May we revere it as true. May it affect our hearts, that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Father, we pray that you would help us be sure with the things that Jesus says about himself, that we would be encouraged by the hopefulness in Christ and that we would be equipped even by hearing your word to go all the more and be eager, prepared, trained, ready to go tell someone else about who Jesus is. I thought, would you bring John 8 to our mind so many times this week for our own encouragement and for usefulness with those around us? That as we know the answer, who are you? Others might know who he is. And that they would know who Jesus is according to his own words, I am. I'll give you just a moment to pray in response to God's word, how God might convict and encourage you today. And we'll come back together in just a moment. This morning we are going to partake together in the Lord's Supper. What it means to partake in what we call the Lord's Supper is to remember Jesus crucified on the cross for our sins. The bread that we take in is a reminder of Jesus' body broken for us. The juice that we take in is a reminder of Jesus' blood sent to wash away our sins. The meaning of partaking in the Lord's Supper is saying that I am a Christian And my church has affirmed me as a Christian. 
So if you're here today and you have not been baptized as a Christian, if you're not a part of a local church, we ask you not to partake. If you have questions about that, we would love to talk with you after the service. So so I was thinking about how the Lord's Supper connects to what we've read and heard about Jesus in John 8 today. I'm reminded of Revelation chapter 5. Forever in heaven, Jesus is worshipped as the one who is worthy to take the scrolls to open its seals. Why? Because Jesus was slain, and by his blood, he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus is forever worshipped as the one who was slain and ransomed the people by his blood. But then at the end of Revelation chapter 5, it worships Jesus. Heaven is worshiping Jesus in co-glory with God. The end of Revelation 5, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, both be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. As we partake this morning, just remember who it was who shed his blood for us on the cross. At this time, there's a table in the back to your right. There's a table in front of you right here. These men have prepared for us. You can get up. You can go to those tables, grab the elements for you or maybe someone next to you if you need to. Take those back to your seat. Ryan will play for us, and I'll lead us to partake together in just a moment. You can go ahead and get up now and make your way to those tables.